Welcome back to another episode of the Bootstrapped Experience podcast. Yeah, welcome back, Jack. Good to see you again. Yeah, thanks. You too. Yeah. It's been um, busy. I guess it's three weeks since we talked last time. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's been a good few weeks. A bunch of things happened on the Shopify side, which we can talk about, but also developing on apps. And now we're almost about to press go on a new marketing campaign. It's kind of been marketing week here, so it's been cool. Like, I'm really trying to put together a strong SEO plan. That has kind of been my major thing. And I'm kind of trying to balance that with customer support. So I kind of remember this with the Shopify app too. Like, the app's at a point where customer support is more than just like, oh, here's how you do this, or maybe fix a small thing or whatever. It's like, it's kind of at this point where it's like the feedback is good, it makes sense, but it takes a long time to implement. And especially with so few customers right now, like I'm kind of nurturing everyone, making sure everyone's happy, getting what they need. So it's like a tough balancing act to sort of keep everyone happy, keep the customers supported properly and get anything else done. Yeah, sure. I think that's one of the hardest parts to balance, right, in all this. How do you put different amounts of time to the different parts of your business? And I guess, like, I kind of remember with the Shopify app, like, there was a certain point where I felt like I could sort of start saying no to customer requests, maybe because they didn't make sense for how I pictured the app or whatever else. And I guess I'm just not quite there yet with Translate CI. So the suggestions I'm getting are good. And they're also like, hey, can you support this framework, for example? Well, there's no reason to say no to that. I should support everything that I can. And if a customer has that framework, you know, but that kind of means I push everything else aside and try to do that. Yeah. Are you getting a lot of diff- interest from different frameworks or is it like a couple in particular that you know you need to sort of support? Yeah, React is the big one, which makes sense too, because I'm kind of trying to go after. Shopify app developers. It's kind of ridiculous. I don't support React yet. So I'm working on that right now, hopefully next week. Shopify is moving more towards like React developers. A lot of documentation is for Node developers and stuff. So, But it's actually kind of a cool thing too, because it dovetails nicely with the SEO efforts. So I'm really kind of wrapping my head around how SEO works, doing keyword research, all this kind of stuff. And what I'm seeing is like a lot of the search intent for internationalization is around React. So a lot of the developer interest is specifically with React, probably more than any other framework as far as search engine stuff goes. So, you know, again, it makes sense. It'll make those efforts a little easier as well. Yeah. And also when you do marketing pushes, say you're on, uh, oh, what's that site called? Where they you push out different launches. Anyway. Oh, uh, Product Hunt? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because there you don't know what people are using. I guess if you're doing a sponsorship on Laravel casts or Laracasts, then you know what type of developer you're, you're contacting. But if you're doing something more broad, then it makes sense to support more of the different frameworks out there. Yeah, well, and that's an issue I was seeing, actually, because I've been looking at more sponsorships and things like that. And like going after Shopify developers specifically was pretty good. And I think that's just because I know that group really well. And going after like developers for specific frameworks has been good as well. But... Going after sort of the general indie developer audience has not gone so well. And I think that's because everyone's using different frameworks. They don't support. Like, I'm, I'm kind of getting the same number of signups, and then they drop off a lot faster when I go after the indie, just the general bootstrap SaaS crowd. Yeah, sure. Do you think it could be a pricing thing as well? or It could be, but it's very upfront with the pricing, and they're not, they're not getting to the point of getting the quote. And I think from feedback I've heard, I think it's just because. I don't support whatever they happen to use. Okay. Well, then that's an easy 
how do you say, you know what you got to do sort of thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a lot nicer than not knowing where to sort of change things or improve things. Yeah, overall, I'm feeling like really enthused about the project. Like I'm getting good feedback. People are excited about it. The sort of general objections I hear, either it doesn't support their particular use case or they're just not quite ready to translate the app. They don't necessarily see, for whatever reason, either there's a technical thing on their end or they just don't aren't quite ready to do it yet. But, you know, that's okay too. That's stuff I can work on. Yeah, like I said, it's nice to know the right direction at least. I wanted to ask, how did the LaraCast sponsorship go? So I feel like I made a little bit of a mistake there. So far, it's kind of had less results than any of the other sponsorships I did. And I realized that it's because, if I had to guess, it's specifically, I kind of forgot about this, even though I would have known it had I thought about it, the ads only run for logged out users. So a lot of their content is free. Well, the thing is, I really want to go after people that are willing to pay for Laracast, and they don't see the ad at all. So I'm specifically going with people that are only consuming the free resources there. Which is a totally different type of buyer, right? Exactly, yeah. So not a ton of click-throughs, very few signups from it, and I don't think I've seen any customers, although I haven't uh, checked recently. Oh, wow. Okay, well, that's a shame. I mean, because I'm sure the, the audience is pretty big, right? But I guess their paid plan says no ads. <laughs> right, which totally makes sense. And I guess when I looked at other places that had taken that spot before, it totally makes sense. It was conferences, other learning resources, and things like that, where they could benefit from that type of traffic. But yeah, so, you know, lesson learned. It's a shame, though, because that's like a perfect channel otherwise. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I guess they're, they're probably making enough on the way that they're doing it now, but if it was in... They're never going to do it in the interest of advertisers, though, are they? Like, right. Um, they're going to do it in the interest of users. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and it totally makes sense. You know, keep the free resources free with a little bit of support. That's cool. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sarah is about to sort of press go on our. She's been working on marketing campaigns. In the past, we've just really been doing the the flow, the how would you say, like app store advertising, a little bit of keyword advertising, and then organic sort of traffic. And then, of course, we have our email flows, which try and do some cross selling and stuff. But then, if people sign up for our apps, they'll get like an email flow, which maybe lasts a couple of weeks, and then that's pretty much all they'll hear from us, right? So we want to start doing more sort of outbound marketing. I think I talked about it earlier, but um, we're about to sort of go on the first one, which is pretty exciting. We're just getting everything set up. Yeah, so it's cool to see that there's actually going to be a proper campaign. Like it has uh, elements of, there's four different emails that will get sent to different groups. There's a blog post. There's going to be like Facebook ads and Instagram ads running at the same time. So yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. Like 10 years and finally we're doing an, a real marketing campaign. <laughs> nice. And, and who, who are these going to? Like what's the audience there? Yeah, so the focus is to, it's called Order Printed Templates Awareness Campaign, right? So we're just trying to make both existing users and new users aware of this app. So a lot of it is cross-selling. So we'll be sending like one email to users of our other apps to say, hey, and we can check if they've used it before and all that type of thing. So there's a lot of filtering going on, but so basically saying, hey, this is this is the other app. It goes perfect with one that you're using and then giving like a, a small sort of temporary deal on that to try and get them to convert across as well. And then also there's people that have signed up for that app that didn't convert at the time to purchase or something. So we're obviously sending a similar message to them to try and get them sort of hooked back in. And then we're doing something for the partner program 
where that's more educational, sort of five things you could do with this app or sort of teaching them a bit more how it works and what kind of things it's good for and putting a partner spin on it there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like the different message you put out to different people as well. And the overall message is kind of the same, but you tweak it and you change it and optimize it for each different audience. That's cool. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done like a full planned out campaign like that before, which is kind of crazy. It's just as I go. Like, so are, are you using like a, a marketing platform to manage this all or did you code something yourself? No, so we're just using uh, Basecamp to do the actual sort of planning. You can In Basecamp, you can create templates. So each time we're going to do a campaign, you can create a new project based on this template. And what it does is already provides you with like a, a checklist of all the steps that you should take to and things to think about as you're planning it out, as well as executing it to make sure you've, we've got, for example, like UTM parameters on all the links and things so we can track it. And there's a task at the end to actually follow up on and measure how it went and so forth. Which makes like planning these things out a lot easier. And it also, when you create that new project, it puts like a almost like a summary document, like a brief where you fill out. So you've already put all the headings in there and examples of how you should fill this out. But then, you know, the first task is really to sort of brainstorm and fill out that document so that you have a good idea of what it is you're trying to do, which app you're promoting, what are the audiences you're going to, you know, the timeline, what's the budget we're going to sort of spend on this, which is really cool. And that was part of sort of her cycle at the moment is is to sort of create that checklist and those documents so that executing going forward will be much easier, right? Because you've just got a blueprint that you follow along with. And obviously we'll change that blueprint as we learn, but yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool. And then the emails we set up in Intercom to send out and there we have all of our customer data so we can, or user data so we can filter and, and like say, hey, we want to send this email to this group of people and make sure not to include those that are using this other app or especially with order printer templates. You use those templates in order printer or our order printer pro app. So it's like a template you use in those other apps. So we don't want to promote that to our orderly print users, for example, which is a higher priced, uh, more advanced app. So we make sure on all our filters that we don't include those people in that one. Yeah, so emails through Intercom. Then we have we use Buffer for all our social stuff. So pushing out, sort of doing a little campaign there. I think there's like three posts in each of different messages and pushing out the blog posts that we've done and so forth. So we get to push those out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and the blog post goes on LinkedIn as well. Nice. Yes, that's it's, awesome. That sounds like it, a it real It sounds plan. so professional. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have to stress that Sarah's done all the hard work on that. So I'm just helping on the technical details. But yeah, it, it's good fun to sort of do it. I'll tell you this funny thing you just reminded me with scheduling the social media stuff is just, so I moved to the UK. I'm eight hours ahead of where I was. And it's changed my whole Twitter experience in this really funny way in that everyone I followed and everyone that followed me pretty much was in the US for the most part in that eight hour. So now it's really funny, like when I pull up my Twitter feed, I have no content on it now, like during my morning or whatever. And when I post, like if I post in the morning, it gets almost no visibility because of that. So I've actually just started playing with using Twitter's scheduling features. Uh, so at least if I post something, it'll go out at a time. Someone might see it. Just pretty yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. The, I guess, yeah, you're totally changing when you see content as well, right? So if you're used to doing it during the day, it's a totally different time now. Yeah, I need to start following people from Europe, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you, out of interest, what time do you pick then? Do you pick like three, four in the afternoon or something like that? Yeah, I just started doing it a couple of days ago and I think I've been doing it around 3 p.m. But I'll probably still play with that some more. 
at least that's a time like I'll still be around if I get replies and things like that. And it's morning for most people in the yeah, US. Exactly. Yeah. I've tested it out quite a bit. Not so much on Twitter, but just like email sending and, and things like that. And yeah, if you post like early European hours, it's a lot less traffic than if you do it later. You don't want to do it too late because then it seems to get lost as well in like a flood of updates in the US times. We've scheduled all our emails for like 4 p.m. And I'm an hour ahead of you, which is 3 p.m. your time. So yeah, be interesting to see. And we, we thought, okay, should we experiment with that? But we thought we'd just line them up at the exact same time at the moment, and then we can test on the next campaign to see if we can get more interactions or whatever. It's so confusing. I don't know if it's a US thing or just a me thing, but just all those things you don't think about moving to another country, like everything's so US-centric in my head. Like, uh, yeah, the time zone thing's a huge one. Yeah, what's been the biggest sort of messes with your head? <laughs> the biggest thing is that, and it took me a while to catch on to this, is that some people here cannot understand my American accent, which had never occurred to me before. And it's been really funny. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because they're very polite. And suddenly I'll be in the conversation. I'm like, why are they not able to hear me? And then I realize, oh, they can't understand me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So you need to articulate more or how do you? Yeah. yeah. So it happens with people that, what I've noticed is it happens with people that are non-native English speakers, but they learned English from people with a British accent. Okay. And so, yeah. So they don't understand my accent, which is, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I'm sure you're going to run into a bunch of weird little things that, especially like looking the, the correct way when you're crossing the road, right? Oh, it's a huge one. Yeah. And there's, yeah, it's tons of little stuff. So I, actually, this is funny. So a few days ago, I was at the workspace and my wife calls me and she says, our electricity's out. And it turned out, I didn't know this, they have a different type of meter here that you pay in advance. We had no idea. And so our electricity just automatically shut off because we hadn't paid in advance. And you have to like take this card out of the meter and go to like a corner shop and give them money to put on this card. And then that gets plugged into the meter. I had no idea. So I was in the workspace and I, I literally had to grab someone in the kitchen and be like, can you explain to me how electricity works here? <laughs> <laughs> they taught me how to like recharge this card. It was so funny. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know that. That's not how it works here. Yeah, I think most people aren't on that system, but it's like an older system that some people have, which is funny. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, oh, the fun of moving countries. Yeah, and it's like, it's such a minor, minor differences, like you don't really think about it, and then something like that happens and you lose your electricity for a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had the same thing here in Denmark recently. My daughter's in a movie and it came out, like we were at the premiere last week. And then all the like the local reviews start coming out in all the big newspapers and stuff. And they rate things out of six stars. Oh, funny. And it's like, why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> everywhere else is like one, zero, to five, zero to five or whatever. And here yeah, yeah. you see six stars. And you, or you think, oh, wow, I got five stars. And they're like, yeah, that's almost perfect. And I'm like, five <laughs> stars, you know? And then you see the ones, other ones coming out and it gets uh, six stars there or whatever. So yeah, just weird things you got to get used to sometimes. But yeah, so are you building... Are you focusing on development now then to get these features? I kind of did take the week off to think about marketing more because I really feel like I really want to put effort into that. And then I think I'm going to, I kind of feel like I might try this cadence of sort of a week on marketing and a week on product and see if that works. Because I, I know we've talked about this before, like when I try to break up my week, it just doesn't work. So I'd be like, oh, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays are development, you know, whatever. I feel like it's not a big enough block of time to focus, but I feel like maybe I could do a week and then just sort of be 
on the lookout for emergencies on either side. Yeah. I used to try and do it like daily shift. So I'd have this thing. I've still got it written on my wall. But yeah, I agree with you. It doesn't really work once you have enough daily tasks, email work or customer replies or whatever. Um, so my mornings are always like replying. And then in the afternoons is where I try and get things done, right? Or like just before lunch and, and then the whole afternoon. But yeah, I agree with you. Mentally switching all the time, you get nothing done. And I think it's fine fine once while you don't have a lot of email in the morning or customer replies and stuff. Then it's easier to switch because you've got more time every day. But yeah, I've, I've also gone to like knowing that this week my focus is on doing requirements and building out like specs for the next cycle. Whereas last week it was focusing on doing like small, small coding tasks. And then I got a ton done just focusing on that every day last week. Uh, yeah. And then focusing on, on doing something different this week, I think it's a good way to do it. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Because I also feel like my biggest problem with marketing is just being consistent. So if I say I'm going to put out X number of pieces of content or X tweets or whatever, like, and I'll do it for a few days and then drop off. And I'm really bad about that. So if I can sort of concentrate for a big block of time, build up a backlog of stuff, then I think that's really useful for me. I feel like I need that to be consistent at all. Yeah, definitely. And I think the cadence of actually putting things out. So if you're working on marketing every second week or something like that, then every second week kind of also matches with my idea of how often you should be pushing something out, right? So yeah, you're not trying to push something out every week, which becomes really, really hard. Well, I've been thinking too about this sort of Twitter build in public stuff we keep seeing. I mean, obviously it's been popular for quite a while now, but I'm slow. And I feel like I want to experiment with that. I mean, I know this podcast is sort of a form of that in a way, but I'd like to get sort of more active on there just because I see some really good results. It is kind of my audience. I think it's worth at least attempting for a little while and seeing it. You know, it's tough. Like you see people that I think have really great results with it and build successful SaaS products that way. And you also see people that have 100,000 followers, but they've just hit $100 MRR because they put all their effort into that. And so I guess, and I guess maybe the, the trick is just to experiment with it for a month or two. Like, I don't know if, I guess I'm not totally sure if people really are building successful products off the back of this building in public on Twitter, or if they're kind of mutually exclusive. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think with the type of app that you're building, it could be beneficial. You know, like developers can be pretty tough customers sometimes, right? So they want to check everything out, but they often don't want to pay for it or or think, ah, I could do that. Or, or they're just having a look, right? Just out of curiosity a lot of the time. But I think for the type of app you're doing, it, it could be a good strategy. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It depends, like you're saying, how much effort it is to do it that way. Like, is that taking all your time or are you just throwing out a couple of things while you're building? Which is how I'd see it being sustainable and actually useful, right? Because otherwise, the are you building a product so you can talk about it or are you building a product as a business, right? Right, absolutely, yeah. And I've always been kind of adverse to that audience building type activity. Not because I thought it was like a bad thing to do, it just didn't really interest me, I guess. It's usually the people that end up producing courses instead, right? 
Right, for sure. <laughs> a lot of the people that are super successful is because they built an audience talking about something and then eventually monetized it by building up either a course or, or some other way to capitalize on the audience more than the actual product, right? Right, exactly. So yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I don't have an answer. Maybe just mess around with it for a month or two and, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's funny because I've, I've been sort of feeling the opposite. I've always, I wouldn't say call it building in public, but I've been very open about a lot of stuff as I've been building over the years, which has been really good to create like a community. But I think I've also shot myself in the foot sometimes by creating competition for myself or making life a lot easier for competitors or different things, right? So yeah, I don't know. I I guess I share less now than I would have like three, four years ago. I think also I've got less time now than I did have then. You know, like all of my apps do take a certain amount of time. And the more apps you get, the less time you sort of have for extra things on top, right? That's not a bad position to be in because it means I've had success with those those products, right? So I think the bigger my company's got, the harder I've found it to spend time on things like that. Yeah, and I was just going to say, I think the more successful you are, the less incentive there is to share because you're just feeding your competition more. So that totally makes sense. And I guess, I guess one of the things that's interested me about this is just that sort of the best introductory customers I've had have come because they've heard about Translate CI originally from this podcast. So like, I see this benefit when they sort of know me and are willing to work with me, and like, that's, that's super helpful. So I guess I see that as a big advantage to sort of building public and having... Yeah, definitely. I think there's a certain level of trust that you build with your audience, right? That they can see that you're just doing your thing and trying to do it as best as you can, and, and that's the kind of people that you want to support. If I sign up for a product or whatever, and I don't know, whatever reason, I have some sort of problem with it. I think I'm much more likely to just send an email or or ask for support or just give them the benefit of the doubt if I sort of know who the person is behind it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, like I was saying, I think for your product, it makes super, super sense to do it that way. And especially because you are specifically also targeting Shopify developers to some degree, right? So I think that, yeah, it's interesting. But having said that, I'm sharing less, <laughs> which brings me <laughs> to the point that we're currently recording a podcast and I'm talking about everything that we do. So, <laughs> so I'm not that close, but maybe just uh, stop talking about revenue and, and things like that, right? Which really sort of seems to go far and wide and, and drive a lot of people to contact me. I like hearing from people, but the amount of time I can sort of spend answering one-to-one is, is really hard, even though I'd, I'd love to. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, uh, you know, there's a little more effort with the podcast than just seeing it come across your, your Twitter feed or whatever. So if you share it here, it's, it's not going out quite as wide. No, exactly. Gets... That's, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, so we'd put down some notes <laughs> of what we wanted to And you put on Shopify trial extensions and the discounts, which is a new API from Shopify, right? Yeah, that's so cool. It's a shame I'm not too much in the uh, Shopify system anymore because, man, I wanted this so bad, both of these things. <laughs> I had like the wonkiest flow for trial extensions before. It was like basically set a field in the database that this person is allowed to extend their trial. Then you have to email them and say, okay, well, now you're going to see this banner. The next time you open the app, click this button, you know, and uh, now like it looks like you can just do it automatically. It's amazing. Yeah, I think it's very good. Yeah, only available on GraphQL, of course. But um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think it makes sense to build that into like uh, your support tool or whatever you're using if you've if you built like some type of admin to, so you have a button there that you can say extend trial for X amount of days and it just pushes through the API, right? Yeah. 
It would be nice. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Like, I understand that Shopify is probably not interested in making Stripe quality billing for app merchants, but like, it's tough. I mean, they do lack some of those basics that would be that you get with sort of any other system. And I don't know what the answer is to that. I mean, the one thing we do get that's incredible and totally worth being on their system as opposed to a Stripe or Paddle or whatever is that the merchant already has their credit card in when they install your app. And I would choose a more primitive system that has that included rather than, you know, if they allowed you to plug in Stripe or something like that, I would still stick with Shopify just for that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really increases uh, conversions. Yeah. So we're building out a feature for emailing in the system. And we wanted an example email that we might send to customers, right? Just to build it into our, our framework. And one of the ideas I had is when people go to confirm the charges or approve the charge, only a person with the right permissions is allowed to do it. Before, it used to be the account owner had to do it. But now Shopify have done it a bit more granulated that as you give a staff member access, you can tell them, yes, they have access to apps, but they also have access to approved charges, right? And I wanted to, on our pricing page, in the apps. So if we can tell that the person viewing the pricing page that's logged in to the app and is viewing the pricing page is not allowed to approve the charge, we'd love to show like a banner saying, hey, charges need to be approved by a person with permission or whatever. Enter, click here and we'll send them this email or whatever. And they can customize it. And by default, we'd send it to the account owner, right? So just like making it really easy for them to say, hey, I want to send an email or get approval for this thing I'm installing, right? Which would save a lot of people I think it would increase conversions a little bit. The only thing we found out is that we can't actually tell if the person has permission or not. We can tell if they're an account owner, but we can't see if they have that permission to approve app charges, which kind of killed the idea because maybe they do have it, so you shouldn't show them the banner, right? Because it's not only the account owner now that's allowed to do it. If they're not the account owner, we could say, right, show the banner. But in some cases, they actually could approve it themselves. We just don't know it. So yeah, if anyone listening knows a solution to that, then please let me know. (laughs) At the moment, you can only call on the user API for Shopify Plus stores, but this feature is available to to all stores as far as I understand. So yeah, anyway, little anecdote. But I agree with you. Like I would 100% keep it the way it is when not having to fill out credit card details. I think that works really well. For sure. Yeah, and I, I remember just a couple of services I've used. Like they have to, I see them like, SaaS services like jump through so many hoops trying to get you to enter that credit card if they have like a no credit card upfront trial. There's a service I love. I think they're great. Honey Badger, which is like an error tracking software. I thought it was so smart, but like it sucks that they have to do this. Is like a couple days after you sign up for their no credit card trial, you get an email that's like, hey, we want to send you like some stickers and t shirts and stuff like that. Put in your credit card and your billing information, and uh, we'll get that sent out. And uh, totally makes sense because I fully intended to sign up, give them the credit card information already, but I'd forgotten already that I needed to do that. So I don't know if I would have converted it without that. Or at least I would have been maybe out without the service for a day or something. Yeah, and, and I guess you always feel a bit more like punching your credit card in as you're signing up for something that you don't know if you want yet is kind of annoying, right? Because you've got to then put a reminder to cancel it before the end of the trial and everything else. But I guess that's what we ask of Shopify merchants as well. They are proving that if they forget to uninstall it, it will be charged. But the other side of that new API was actually not just the trial extensions, but also um, that you can put a time-limited discount onto the plan at the same time. So you say, like, for the first three months, I want to give a 50% discount. And then 
once that ticks over, then the discount automatically gets removed and it starts charging full price. Yeah, because I remember kind of doing something like this before. And I think what I ended up settling on was giving users I did this with like a partial refund because I didn't want to have to make them like accept new billing conditions for more money like three months down the road or whatever. So yeah, this is a really nice way of doing it. Yeah, I'm still sort of trying to think of use cases where it would make sense, right? But I guess it allows you to do like a limited time deal to say, hey, first six months are half price or... But is that a normal deal that you get offered, right? Well, if I recall, I think the couple times I did it was when it was... Because I was kind of expensive and sometimes like charitable organizations would want to use it. So I'd give them 75% off for a year or something like that in some cases. Okay. Yeah, but, I guess that's yeah. a good way to do it. And I guess if you look at even Intercom, they had like a like a startup plan or something like that. So first year is like half price or something like that. It's enough time for you to become <laughs> not a startup in their eyes. And then you can pay normal price. The thing I most would have liked would have been promo codes. Yeah, exactly. That would be really cool. Yeah, some way to register. And yeah, I would have liked that as well. So like what I did to sort of get around that was I would cookie the user. I'd have a special link that like cookied the user and then just reduce the... And it, it was kind of a pain because it couldn't actually show the reduced price like on the app page, but it would charge them the reduced price when it got to that point. Yeah, yeah. Kind yeah, of convoluted. I think it's how I'm going to do it. <laughs> I have like a discounting feature in one of the apps where you can put in a discount code. And then I actually have an API, which is controlled by the partner program actually, which is where it verifies the discounts. So each app set up on my partner program. And as part of that setup, I can generate discount codes with different variables and stuff. And then there's an, a- an API that each of the apps can sort of call on and say, hey, is this a valid discount code? And if so, what's the deal? And then it adjusts the charge based on that. So I just need to extend that so it also works for links, like you're saying, where you cookie them. Instead of here, they, they actually, much like on a checkout, where you say, hey, you have a discount code, fill it in here and validate it, and then you can, you can put in the purchase. Whereas I'd like to do it automatically, like you're talking about, where you just have it in the URL or whatever. I always wonder, though, like, I guess I feel like having a promo code box ends up probably reducing conversions overall. So that's, yeah, I don't know. So maybe something a little custom is good there. Yeah, and that was one of my thoughts as well, because on the pricing page, you don't want to have, like, do you have a discount? And then people go searching for one, or, but I guess that's just the way it is. But it just feels like, yeah, you're letting people down that don't have a discount code. (laughs) Why don't I have one? But talking about new APIs in beta, we had a nice little, uh, I don't know, incident or whatever you want to call it earlier this week. I think it was Monday morning, came in, and there was a bunch of cases in our support queue sort of saying, hey, what's this email about? And the email was sent by Shopify saying, you're close to your spending limit for Order Printer Pro. If you don't increase or increase your spending limit by clicking this link, if you don't, then service may be interrupted. And it's like, what? <laughs> because we... We use the usage charge API, but we don't need that spending limit to be higher. So it's it's Shopify that are testing a new beta, right? Something called app spending. The weird thing is that it automatically activated on a bunch of accounts that it shouldn't have. And they turned it off and they admitted that oh, it, it shouldn't have been activated. But my fear now is that they actually put it out. Just that's the new feature, right? They just bolt this on onto usage charges automatically without us being able to say if we want that feature or not. That would be really strange because it seems like then you'd have to like have a much higher spending limit than you need just to avoid triggering those emails. Yeah, exactly. And the email content itself is just wrong in our use case. 
like their service won't be interrupted if they don't. Like, because we say to them, right, when you install the app, we have the right to charge you $10. And if you go over the limit of 50 orders, then we will charge you that $10. So it's like the subscription fee, but you don't pay it if you don't go over. Gotcha. Yeah. I know a lot of apps work that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it makes a lot of sense because you're only charging them in months where they actually should be charged based on their usage. But that also means that as soon as we add that usage charge, we add $10 out of the maximum $10, that will trigger that email. And we have like thousands of paying customers. So every time we'll be sending thousands and thousands of these emails to customers every month for no reason at all, which really confuses them based on the message in the app. We won't turn off their service if they don't increase their spending limit. So, And the fact that it's in beta and not alpha or something like that scares me, you know, like, <laughs> it was out enough that they sort of dropped the link, a public link to the beta itself with the information and stuff. So I don't know. That just, just seems to me that that would be, I can't ever really see a case where that's not something they would just let the developer implement if it's something they felt like they needed. It seems like a weird thing for Shopify to want to handle. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering whether there is like, you have to set it up on the app spending, the API first to say, right, hey, I want this. But it doesn't seem like it. They just basically turned it on, right? So I didn't have to do any API calls or anything to get it to activate. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe it'll be an app setup flag or something like that. You know, I'd be really surprised. I, I could be wrong, of course, but I feel like I'd be really surprised if they just turned it on for everyone with no way to opt out of it. Because it just, I don't think it makes sense for a lot of use cases. And I can understand, like, if you're selling ads or something that does have a recurring cost, sending emails, for example, you say, right, included in your plan is this many will charge you per thousand emails or whatever and you approve them up to $50, $50. And then you've used up your $50 and then it goes, oh, we're going to stop sending emails because you don't have any more credit, right? There it makes sense, but not for my case anyway. There was something else I was thinking about this week um, just because I saw a bunch of tweets about it with the sort of Shopify app pricing. And that's just the apps that kind of list themselves as, as free and I, I do remember seeing a lot of those. And that's a strange thing. I'd like to see them get under control. And I think they're kind of doing it with usage charges, like these apps, so they can get listed as free. Yeah. I think in some cases, they're just basically lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then they have like a pricing page somewhere else on their website or when you get into the app. So they probably got approved as a paying and then they decide, hey, it's worth marking myself as free because... It happens automatically, right? Yeah. I remember a lot of competitors of mine were just listed as free, and I don't think any of them actually were. So it's whatever, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's frustrating, right? Because you don't want to resort to these things, and I wouldn't do it either way, but you wish that there was a bit of policing going on. Yeah. It's tough, right? I mean, there's so many apps in there, and it's like, I, I don't think they have a huge team that's just constantly going through all the apps. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but. No, exactly. But I guess you could sort of check, right? If the app is listed as free, are they adding use, uh, charges oh, through the API? Yeah, good point. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. So you don't have to check the actual app itself, but you just check if they're, if they're hitting the API at all. Anyway, if anyone from Shopify is listening, please set that up. <laughs> we just want a level playing field. Yeah, it just it sucks. I mean, as things like this grow, marketplaces grow, people just resort to shadier tactics to get seen. It's, I think it's just a natural consequence of the app store growing. I think also some people will play with like, I'll make my app free for a short amount of time to get into different categories. So if you're able to show trending in a certain amount of time, then maybe you'll turn up in a certain category. And you can do that by changing your pricing, right? So if you make yourself free, then you are most likely going to be trending based on your last paid months anyway. 
where you offered right. it as paid. I mean, I think that's totally reasonable to launch free with the intention of going paid later, I guess. But are you more talking about like, I'm going to temporarily mark my app free for three days just to get into this and then go back to paid? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's not great. Yeah, you see things like this happening. But anyway, <laughs> we always end up complaining. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Shopify, we love you. <laughs> yeah, we do, we do. And I, I sort of got on Twitter. I found that that's the fastest way to get help. I got a reply to the case that I posted in like two days after the whole, me was all sorted out on Twitter sort of thing. So I always feel bad because it's kind of like hanging them out in public sort of thing. And that's not my intention. It's because I know that that's a very good way of getting something to happen. So I try and be respectful is, is I guess what I'm trying to get at. For sure, yeah. I always found, I got to give them props, like Shopify, I feel like has like the best phone support of any company I've ever dealt with. Anytime I had an issue, I mean, it's like, it's crazy. It's like a real person picks up on the first ring when you call their support and they actually have like the autonomy to understand and help you with like pretty complex issues sometimes. I was always super impressed with that. Yeah. So that was always my, my route. Yeah. It's funny. I've only ever called them a couple of times, I think. One was when they delisted my app due to an issue on their side, which it turned out to be, right? But they they were really good. I just got a hold of them and they sort of got hold of the right department, called me back and all this type of thing. So it was good to know that I should pick up the phone more often, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more an SMS and email kind of guy. Yeah, well, it's usually it's usually when I've called them, it's because I'm panicking about something that needs to be seen right away, you know, but they've always been really good. All right, good. Nice. Well, see, then we can end it on a positive note. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Good. <laughs> uh, let's leave it there. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. Awesome. All right. See you later. All right. Cheers, mate.